Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God will judge each person according to his works. In fact, we see this stated in the Bible in many different places. One perfect example is found in Revelation 20, verse 12. There the Apostle John writes, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that when people are punished for their sins uh, in God's judgment, the punishment they receive is going to fit the crime, so to speak. God will give a just punishment according to their, their deeds, their wicked deeds. God will render judgment according to what a person has done. Now, for those who are sorry for their sins and uh, believe in Jesus Christ, uh, their sins have been graciously wiped away by Christ. God has already punished the sins of believers in Jesus, and yet any rewards believers receive will still be according to their works. One clear example of this is found in the parable of the talents. Take the one who had five talents, for example. Um, He was faithful with what he had. He received also still more. Beloved, in our text this morning, we have an example of God's punishment according to deeds. Our text is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man simply ignored Lazarus in his suffering. He hard-heartedly refused to give him any help. And as a result, God eventually judged him according to his works. Beloved, the Lord Jesus teaches these things also to warn us and also to move us to repentance. He warns us in order to break any hard-heartedness in us. That brings us to the sermon theme. Uh, Those who refuse to relieve suffering people in this life will not be relieved of their suffering in the next life. With three points, first of all, no help given. Second of all, no help received. And finally, no other word. So here in our text, uh, the Lord Jesus continues his teaching about money, which often occurs in the Gospel of Luke. And the parable, he tells, begins with a contrast. A contrast between a, a rich man and a poor man. Jesus begins this way. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So this man, he lived in luxury. Uh, Purple was the color of kings. He wore purple. Show that. Uh, His status. Fine linen was rare and undoubtedly expensive in this time. And feasting sumptuously every day uh, didn't come easy at this time in history either. So in short, this man was a somebody in Israel. But then there was the poor man named Lazarus. And this man was a nobody in Israel. He had no money. 
He seems to have no friends. And literally, the, the text says that he was cast at the rich man's gate. Perhaps someone just dumped Lazarus there, not knowing what to do with him, and, and just left him there. Uh, he had no food. He longed to eat even the simple crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Uh, he also had ill health. His body was covered in open sores. And he also had little dignity. The only ones that show him any attention are the dogs. And they only show him attention to lick his sores. And keep in mind that these weren't someone's family-friendly pets. I don't imagine some labradoodles coming up to comfort this man. No, dogs were unclean animals in Israel. In today's terms, we could imagine maybe an animal like a raccoon coming up to him. So this scene was deplorable in Israel. The rich man had every opportunity to help Lazarus. He had the wealth, he had the food, he had the clothing, but he gave him nothing. The rich man even had the location. Lazarus was right there at his gate. He didn't need to go out of his way to help him. In fact, whenever he went out of his home, he would walk past poor Lazarus sitting there. But with zero compassion, the rich man kept all he had for himself. And this was completely at odds with what God wanted him to do. Just think of what God said repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. He wanted his people to remember the poor. Take, for example, Leviticus 25. The Lord taught his people this. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. So that was from the law of God, the Torah. And there's also the prophets. In Isaiah 58, the Lord proclaimed through Isaiah. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? If you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. See, the rich man had closed his heart to God's word. He simply ignored it. And so here he is closing his heart towards Lazarus, and he ignored him also. See, beloved, we should know, though, that the Lord still has the same desire for his people today, for us. He wants us to care for the poor, the afflicted, the sick, the oppressed. 
He made that abundantly clear, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. I could think of one other parable that happens in, or is told in Luke's Gospel, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, they saw that man lying there on the side of the road, but they stayed as far away from him as possible, walking on the other side of the road. But the Samaritan went out of his way to help the man, giving up his time and money to provide for his needs. And the Lord Jesus says, yeah, go and do likewise as that person, the Samaritan. But here's where we need to ask ourselves, have we taken that teaching to heart? Or have we, like the rich man, closed our own hearts to God's Word? And our actions in life will show whether or not we have taken God's teaching seriously in this matter. You know what? When we read this parable, we might be shocked at the rich man's lack of compassion for Lazarus. And it is shocking. He walked by him all the time, did not seem to care at all. But you know what? Perhaps it's easier than we think to get into this mode of living. You know, the rich man created a separation between himself and Lazarus. Lazarus sat out at his gate on the outside. The rich man could even bring Lazarus inside the, the gate to keep the dogs away. Uh, Lazarus was an undesirable. The rich man didn't want to have anything to do with him. You know what? There are plenty of, so to speak, undesirables and have-nots in our city and our culture as well, our country. And do we, we must ask, do we show compassion to them also by our deeds? Or have we too also worked to keep a barrier between us and, and them? Oh, I want to give you an example just, just as some Food for thought. You know, recently there was a, a building proposal near my neighborhood for some low-income housing uh, on an empty lot. And some time ago, someone from our neighborhood knocked on our door uh, with a petition. The petition was to prevent uh, the low-income housing from being built in that location. Now, perhaps the people making the petition, maybe they had... Good intentions. I don't know uh, all the reasonings for that petition. Maybe they were just scared uh, crime rates would go up in our neighborhood or something like that. But it's worth thinking about. Was the petition just a, a desire to keep the rich separated from the poor, the haves from the have-nots, the desirables from the undesirables? How might we do this in other ways? Do we show true compassion to the suffering, the homeless, the poor? And yes, it's true we, we aren't able to show, we're not able to help every single suffering person on this planet. But where is your heart? Is it full of compassion to the afflicted and the oppressed? Do you desire to help the poor and needy, especially those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? The Spirit writes in Galatians 6, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, 
and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That brings us to our second point. Now, the parable goes on. We don't know how much time passes, but the story jumps ahead to the death of both men. And death is the great leveler. It puts people on the same plane. Lazarus had nothing in life, and death has now taken away his life as well. But the rich man, despite all he had, suffers the same fate. All his wealth is taken away from him at death, and his life is now gone too, the same as Lazarus. But not only were their deaths a great leveler, it also brought about a great reversal, as our Lord Jesus teaches us here. Lazarus and the rich man's positions were essentially switched completely. When Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He was comforting, comforted. His suffering was finally over. But look at what happens to the rich man. Though he received a proper burial, he ended up in Hades. He barely suffered in, in his lifetime, but now his suffering was immense. He had so many comforts in his life, but now all he has are torments. And now a barrier lay between the rich man and Lazarus, much like there was a barrier between them in their lifetime on earth. Lazarus was separated by sort of a chasm from the rich man's food and wealth, sitting outside his gate. And now a chasm separates them again. This time, the positions are switched. Lazarus has been taken up to Abraham's side. He's joined God's people in the great banquet hall, which includes Abraham, the the patriarchs, and all believers. And he too is a child of God by faith. He wasn't saved because he was materially poor or something like that. No, he embodies what we read in James 2. God has, generally speaking, chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. That was true of Lazarus. See, Lazarus was no different than anyone else in life, whether rich or poor. Uh, He was a sinner in need of a savior, as are we. And by himself, he could not cross the chasm from his sinful condition to God. And that's true for us as well. We can't cross a chasm that separates sinners from heaven's comforts. For that we need Christ. And Christ bridges that chasm for us. He takes us to the other side. That's why he came to this earth And he came and he showed the compassion to the poor that God always wanted from his people. How much time did he not spend with the undesirables of Israel? And by his death and resurrection, he brings us sinful people across the chasm of death to to heaven's glory. Christ himself said in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believe him who sent me has eternal life. 
He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. Or we could think of 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So Christ has taken us across the chasm from death to life. He has brought us into God's presence, already now by faith. So Lazarus was a true believer. He trusted in God despite his sufferings. And although this is a parable, it can still serve as an example for us. You know, Lazarus suffered greatly in life, but he persevered to the end in faith. And even his name is significant. Notice that he has a name in this parable. The rich man doesn't. Lazarus means he whom God helps. And it didn't appear that way during his earthly life. It seemed that God didn't help him one bit. as He sat there every day and suffered. But now, He's been carried to Abraham's side. And the meaning of his name rings true. God has helped him. He's relieved Lazarus of his suffering, and he will never suffer again. May that be an encouragement to you as well. Trusting God through the suffering of life. In the end, God will comfort and restore those who trust in Him. And as we confess other other places in Scripture, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. But then there's a rich man. He is not taken to Abraham's side. Instead, he goes down into a place of torment. Why does this man end up in hell? Well, the problem wasn't having riches themselves. Uh, Just as Lazarus did not go to heaven because he was poor, the rich man doesn't end up in hell simply because he was rich. If that were the case, then Abraham would not have been in heaven. He was very rich. However, there was still a problem with this man's riches. They were enslaving him. He was hard-hearted in his wealth. He greedily kept everything for himself. And he refused to show even one ounce of compassion towards poor Lazarus. While he suffered in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and called out to Abraham. He called him uh, Father Abraham. In one sense, yeah, that was true. He was a flesh and blood descendant of Abraham, a child of the covenant. However, none of that mattered now because he was not a true child of Abraham by faith. And if he was a true child of Abraham by faith, then he would have also shown it by his deeds, by caring for Lazarus. As 1 John 3 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 
dear children. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The rich man in his anguish called out to Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. You know, it's understandable request in a sense, but it also shows the rich man has not lost his selfishness. He doesn't call out in repentance to Lazarus, I'm so sorry for how I treated you on earth. No, he just wants Lazarus to do his bidding. He never gave one crumb of food to Lazarus in life, despite every opportunity to do so. Here he calls for Lazarus to give him a drop of water. He calls out for mercy, but he himself showed no mercy in life. And so the rich man shows us the truth of what we read in James 2. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And so Abraham responds to his call with these words, Child, remember that in your lifetime. You receive good things, Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross over from there to us. So their place was permanent. The rich man lay on the bad side of that chasm. There was no going back. Beloved, the Lord Jesus told this parable to also warn us, to wake us up. You know, this is a parable, but this is really going to happen to people who have the heart of this rich man. And notice that the rich man is not given a name in this text. And if he's given a name... You can easily identify him as, you know, someone else, that person with that name. But since he has no name, he represents anyone who shows this lack of love and compassion. So Christ told this parable to wake us out of our complacency. He wants us, he wants to pierce our hard-heartedness and not make the same mistake as this rich man. Make sure your forever place is not in hell. Remember James 2, judgment without mercy will be shown to the one who shows no mercy. That brings us to our last point. After Abraham's response, the rich man makes another request. When he finds out he can't exit his place of anguish, Uh, Suddenly, he becomes very interested in uh, doing some evangelism. Well, if you can't send Lazarus to me, then send him to my father's house to warn my five brothers uh, about this place. Abraham simply responds uh, by citing the sufficiency of Scripture, if I can put it that way. What do I mean by that? Basically, they have God's Word, and that's good enough. As one commentator put it, the rich man's request wasn't really denied. It was just deemed unnecessary. They don't need Lazarus to warn them. They have the warnings of God's Word. Uh, They have the law and the prophets. Think of those texts I read earlier from Leviticus and, and Isaiah. 
But the rich man objects. Basically, he says, no, Abraham. There's something more convincing than God's word, something better. If someone rises from the dead and warns them, then they will be convicted and they will repent. But Abraham assures them that's, that's not how it works. They don't hear Moses and the prophets. They're not going to be convinced even if someone were to rise from the dead and tell them. Now, that's a striking statement from the lips of Jesus. Shows us two important truths. First, it shows us the authority and the power of God's Word. It's the only Word of God that we need. And it's the only one we get. But that's enough. Scripture alone is enough. It shows us the will of God. Gives us everything we need to know for life and salvation. Jesus' words also show us the stubbornness of unbelief. Now, the reason why some people don't believe, it's not because of a lack of evidence. Neither is there a problem with the Word of God itself. People don't believe because they don't want to in the end. They harden their hearts against God's Word. And they will choose unbelief despite overwhelming, overwhelming evidence to the things of God. Even if someone rises from the dead to warn them, they will not believe, says Christ. You know what? We see confirmation of this elsewhere in God's Word. Just think of John 11. In that chapter, the Lord Jesus did, in fact, raise someone from the dead. And ironically, his name was Lazarus as well, albeit a different Lazarus than the one here. And when Jesus did that, the Pharisees did something remarkable. They acknowledged that a great sign had been done, but instead of believing in Jesus, they plotted how they might kill Lazarus. Many believed in Jesus because of his work. The Pharisees chose not to. And the same thing happened with Christ himself. Jesus' words here prepare us for his own resurrection from the dead. Christ would die on the cross. He would be buried, but he would be raised to life again. But still some did not believe in him. Beloved, take these things to heart. God has given us His Word. This book gives us everything we need to know for life, for salvation. If we choose to harden our hearts against it, ignore it, we will end up in the same place as the rich man in this parable. That's God's warning to us now in this life. It's the only word He will send us. It's enough. There's also comfort in this. This word is true, beloved. It comes with the authority of God. And it contains God's promises in Jesus Christ for all who believe in Him. And those promises have just as much authority and power as God's warnings. Think of Lazarus. 
is a picture of a believer, someone who trusted God's Word, relied on the Lord's promises. He was comforted, relieved of his suffering, brought into heaven. So, God's salvation is also described so clearly for all of us. Christ came to suffer and die in your place for your sins. If you believe in Him, you will not suffer the fate of the rich man. Instead, at the end of your life, God will command His angels to carry you to heaven, as He did for Lazarus as well. Amen.